All right, well, I'm glad that you are here tonight to study God's Word. And those that are just now tuning in, welcome to Mount Airy Baptist Church. And we're grateful that you would take the time to tune in tonight as we study from the book of Malachi. Last week, we were looking at Malachi chapter 2. If you want to go ahead and get God's Word and turn to Malachi chapter 2. Malachi, of course, the last book in the Old Testament. If you find Matthew, uh, go left and you'll be at Malachi. Uh, And so last week... We were looking at the second chapter, and in the first half of the second chapter, Malachi is addressing the priest. In fact, in chapter 2, verse 1, this is how the chapter begins. And now this admonition is for you, O priest. So we don't have to wonder who he's talking to there. We know directly who he's talking to. He begins the chapter by talking to and talking about the priest. So you can really kind of divide... Malachi 2 in two sections. The first half, he's dealing with the sins of the priest. And then in the second half, he's dealing with the sins of the people. Uh, now, the, the sins of the priest that we talked about last week are these, that he had basically three complaints against the priest. Number one, that they profaned the temple by presenting unworthy offerings. Uh, they, they were bringing the crippled and the lame, lambs and that kind of thing. So they profaned the temple the house of God, by bringing unworthy offerings. Number two, they despised the priestly covenant through their own ungodly living. That They they were preaching a lot further down the road than they were living. They they were not living out what they were trying to teach others. And then number three, they caused many people to stumble through the shameful example that they set. I don't know if you remember, but let me remind you, chapter 2, verse 7 and 8, look what he says. For the lips of a priest ought to, watch this word now, for the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge, and from his mouth men should seek instruction, because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty. That's what ought to happen. That's the way the priest ought to conduct themselves. Then he says, but you have turned from the way, you the priest, have turned from the way, and by your teaching have caused many to stumble. You have violated the covenant with Levi, says the Lord Almighty. You have turned from the way, and not only have you turned from the way, but watch what happens. Because you have turned from the way, by your teaching you've caused many to stumble. And that's what we were talking about last week. And that brings me to a quote that I didn't get to last week. And that is Warren Wiersbe says, A false minister is an awful weapon in the hands of Satan. And when I saw that, I thought that is so true. A false minister, a false teacher is an awful weapon in the hands of Satan. And really in Malachi chapter 2, you have these priests who were indeed false teachers, false ministers. And so Malachi was distressed as he looked at this corrupted priesthood because the end result of that is there was a corrupted people. To him, what was happening with the priest was exactly what was happening to the people. They were mimicking the, the unfaithfulness of the, of the priest. The people were mimicking the unfaithfulness of the priest. That's the model that they had, and that's the way they were living their lives. To him, the most obvious proof of this was the fact that Jewish men were divorcing their wives and were marrying wives from the pagan nations around them. In fact, Malachi chapter 2 verse 10 begins with two key questions, all of which deserve or demand an affirmative answer. Look what he says. Have we all not, here's the question, have we not all one father? That's question number one. Don't we all have one father? That's what he says. 
And then he says, did not God create us? So, so let me put this in context for you. The Jewish men, as we're going to see in a, in a few moments, the Jewish men were divorcing their wives to marry pagan women from the nations around Israel. As Malachi starts to address this issue, he raises two key questions, both of which demand an affirmative answer. The first question is, don't we all have one father? Now, I want you to participate here for a moment. Look at your translation and tell me if the word father it begins with a capital F or a lowercase f. So, so you just... I'm going to ask you the question, you just raise your hand. In, in your translation, does it begin with a capital F? Raise your hand. Most of us, but not all of us. If your translation has a small case or lowercase f, all right, what translation is that? King James. Something other than King James. I think the New American Standard, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, has a lowercase f. You say, well, well why is that? First of all, significant, and secondly, why is it true that in some translations it's a capital F father and some it's a lowercase f? Well, there's differing opinions about, uh, from the translators about whether this should be a reference to God. And if it was a reference to God, of course, it's a capital F. If it's a lowercase f, then it's a reference to somebody else. So, I've studied it. I'm no smarter than anybody else, but I'm just going to give you my theory on this, my opinion on this. Uh, though my translation, uh, let me double check for you. Yeah, my translation has a capital F. I believe actually it probably should be a lowercase f based on the context. Now, now let's just talk about this for a moment because uh, it, it is significant. All right, so he talks about we, we all have one Father, and just, let's just use a lowercase here. We all have one Father. If it is a lowercase f in the translation, if that were to be correct, then the question would be, who is he referring to here? He says, don't we all have one Father? Well, there's a couple of possibilities. If it is a lowercase f, then that one Father could be Adam. Don't we all have one Father? And that would be true, wouldn't it? We all have one father, we all come from Adam, and that would make us part of the human race. There's another option that I think is more likely that he's referring to. I believe he, he was, when he said, don't we all have one father, I think he was talking about Abraham. And if he's talking about Abraham, he's talking about those who are part of the Jewish race. Now, let's look at the text a little bit further. Look in chapter 1, verse 1, Malachi chapter 1, verse 1. Tell me who he is writing to according to Malachi chapter 1, verse 1. An oracle, the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. And so when we come to chapter 2, verse 10, have we... That's a key word. Have we not all one Father? The we there would seem to me to, to be we the people of Israel. Have we the people of Israel, don't we have one Father? 
that would lend, lend me to believe that he's talking about Abraham and he's talking about the Jewish race. And I'll show you why that's important in just a moment. I believe that Malachi was addressing fellow Jews and reminding them of their distinct identity as God's people. Remember this. He's reminding them of of their essential unity as the people of God and their distinct identity as God's people. Not only do we have one Father, but he also says we have... What's the next one? We have one what? One God. Of course, that's easy to know what he's talking about there, that we have one God. But here's the reason this is important. This is the thing that set the people of, 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 of Israel apart from all other nations. That they had one God. This was the thing that set the Jewish people apart from every nation around them. Take your Bibles and go to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Actually, I think we're going to put it up here. Okay. If you want to find it, you can write down the reference Deuteronomy 6, 4. This is the Shema. This is the Jewish confession of faith. And it's technically verses six through, or verses 4 through 6, but verse 4 is the key verse. The Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Jewish confession of faith. Hear, O Israel. This is directed to the people of God, the people of Israel. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. One. You see, the reason this was so important to the Jewish people is because it was emphasizing that the Jewish people had a monotheistic belief. That Judaism is is a monotheistic belief. That mono means one, theistic, or theism means God. That the Jewish people believed in one God. Now watch this. All the other nations around Israel were polytheistic. That is, they believed in many gods. Israel was the only nation in, in that area that said, no, there's only one God. Because all the other nations, they said, well, we've got the the God of the sun and the God of the rain and the God of the storm and, and the God of fertility. and They had all kinds of gods. And so they were often worshiping various kinds of little g gods. But Israel says uh, their belief was, no, there is only one God. And so this was their statement of faith. And if you, if you were to talk to a devout Jew today, they still quote this every morning and every night. You go to Israel today, and you ask, can you say the Shema? And of course, they're going to be able to say it. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now, why does all of this matter? Malachi is making the point that the Jews are bound together by two things. Now, you need to get this. Make sure you watch, watch carefully. The Jews are bound together by two things. They are bound together by this idea that they have one father, Abraham. They're they're all part of the Jewish race. They have one father. They're also bound together by by this idea that they have one God. That is, they're bound together by their religion. So they're bound together by their race, they're Jews. They're bound together by their religion. They believe in, in one God. And... Malachi is making this case because he wants to ask this next question in verse 10. The first question was, have we not all one father? That's question number one. Talking about their Jewish faith, or or not their Jewish faith, their Jewish heritage, the Jewish race. 
Question number two, did not one God create us? Talking about their belief in the one God. Then here's the third question. Why do we profane the covenant of our fathers by breaking faith with one another? We all have the same faith. We all have the same God. We all all are part of the same race. We're, We're Jews. So here's the question. Why do we profane the covenant of our fathers by breaking faith with one another? The covenant of our fathers would refer to the covenant that God made with their forefathers at Mount Sinai. At Mount Sinai, God said, I will be your God and you'll be my people. I am the Lord, your God. And there is only one who is Lord. There's only one who is God. And, and they, they had this covenant of Jews. You are the special chosen people of God. If you will be my people, I will be your God. And they made this covenant at Mount Sinai. As God's people followed their spiritual leaders, they followed God. But, watch this. By the time of Malachi, as God's people followed their spiritual leaders... They began to mimic the unfaithfulness of those leaders. That's what chapter 2 is all about. In the second half of chapter 2, Malachi is going to rebuke the people of Israel. And he rebukes them with this phrase. this, This very powerful phrase that we'll see more than one time. Breaking... Faith. In the first half of the chapter, he rebukes the priest. In the second half of the chapter, he's going to rebuke the people of Israel. And, and, and there's this, this phrase that you see uh, in verse 10 and 11 and in verse 16. Uh, the passage is, this whole passage is about breaking faith. From verses 10 through verses 16, the whole passage is about this concept of breaking faith. And it's framed by that phrase. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Look in verse 10. Have we not all one Father? Did not one God create us? Why do you profane the covenant of our fathers by breaking faith? There's that word, that phrase. By breaking faith. And, and it doesn't say by breaking faith with God, at least not yet. It says you're breaking faith with who? With one another. Which is interesting. And then he states it very clearly in verse 11. Judah has broken faith. There it is again. And then down in verse 16. God says. At the end of the verse. So guard yourselves, yourself in your spirit and do not break faith. So tonight, that's really what we're talking about. Tonight, that that phrase summarizes what we're going to be talking about because that phrase summarizes, in essence, what's happening in the second half of chapter 2. It's interesting that God's people are identified by four overlapping terms in verses 11 and 12. I want you to read verses 11 and 12, and I want you to, to write down or at least mark with your finger the different terms that are used to refer to Israel, or God's people rather, not Israel, but God's people. There are four different terms used to refer to God's people in verses 11 and 12. See if you can find them.
All right, let's see if you got them. In verse 11, there are three different terms used to describe God's people. Which is highly unusual that in one verse, you'd have three different descriptions or three different terms to describe God's people. What's the first one? Judah, the very first word. Judah, referring a term referring to God's people. Judah has broken faith. What's the second term? Israel. A detestable thing has been committed in Israel, in Jerusalem. Now, the, the, the next term would be the one that I just read, Jerusalem. Referring, of course, to that capital city of Israel. The city that's under attack tonight. But it's a reference a geographical reference to God's people. And then in verse 12, there's another reference to God's people. What is the reference in verse 12? Jacob. As for the man who does this, whoever he may be, may the Lord cut him off from the tents of Jacob. And the tents of Jacob is just a way of saying the community of God's people. The community of the Jews. Now, why are there four different overlapping terms to to apply to God's, or that apply to God's people, that describe God's people. Judah, Israel, Jerusalem, and Jacob. Here's what I believe is happening. The prophet's charge that he's giving them was basically that the entire nation was ripe for judgment. The entire nation was ripe for judgment because the people had broken faith, watch this, with one another, and they had broken faith with God. And it was not just a small segment of the country. It was not just a small segment of God's people. But the entire nation was guilty before God of breaking faith. Now, we need to take a few moments and talk about this phrase, breaking faith, and try to get an idea of what it means. So let me show you on the TV here that breaking faith means basically two things. It means, first of all, to betray a trust. When you break faith, you betray a trust. Somebody's put faith in you. They put faith in, in that you would do the right thing. They put faith in that you would keep this confidential. They, they put faith in you. And you betray a trust. You have broken faith. It also means to be unfaithful to a commitment. That is, you've made a commitment, you've made a vow, you've made a pledge, you've promised something, but when you're unfaithful to that, when you don't keep your vow, you don't keep your pledge, you have broken faith. So, in this text, in verse 10, verse 11, and in verse 16, those, those verses are like brackets that frame this idea that you have broken faith, Israel. And it's interesting that he gives two examples of how they have broken faith. Now watch this, those watching online, make sure you get this. He gives two examples of how God's people were breaking faith Two examples of their sin, and both of these examples, don't miss this, both of these examples of breaking faith are related to marriage. I want you to think about what marriage is. Marriage is when I, go back, I'm sorry, I, I missed, there you go. Marriage is when I trust someone and I commit my life to them. Marriage is when I, am, I make a commitment to someone that, Till death do us part. Marriage is that ultimate trust, faith relationship. Malachi is going to use these two areas of marriage 
two examples of marriage to say, this is how you've broken faith with God. You have betrayed His trust. You have been unfaithful in your commitment to Him. The two marriage problems of the day, now go to that one. The two marriage problems of the day were these. First of all was interfaith marriages. Verses 10 through 12, interfaith marriages. Let's read the text. Have we not all one Father? Did not one God create us? Why do, you, why do we profane the covenant of our fathers by breaking faith with one another? There's the key phrase. It's, he's not talking here about breaking faith with God, but breaking faith with one another. Then he goes on to say this. Judah has broken faith. A detestable thing has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. Judah has desecrated the sanctuary the Lord loves. And here's how. By marrying the daughter of a foreign god. As for the man who does this, whoever he may be, may the Lord cut him off from the tents of Jacob, even though he brings offerings to the Lord Almighty. To Malachi, the most obvious proof that the Jewish men had become unfaithful to God is that they were unfaithful to their wives. These marriage problems were really two sides of the same coin. These, these two marriage problems are really two sides of the same coin. That they were uh, unfaithful to God. They had married pagan women. But they were also unfaithful to their wives. And actually what we're going to see in a few moments is they divorced their wives so that they could marry these pagan women. So it's two sides of the same coin. It's marriage problems on both sides. But it's two issues here. You have profaned the covenant of God because you have taken this sacred institution of marriage and you have disobeyed God and you have married pagan women. And in order to marry these pagan women, you divorced the wife of your youth. So let's break that down. Let's talk first of all about interfaith marriages. Many of the Jewish men were divorcing, di- divorcing their Jewish wives. And some scholars think, and I think there's some textual evidence here, that not only were they marrying, not only were they divorcing their wives to go marry pagan women, they were, and I'm, I'm trying to be uh, sensitive to what I'm about to say, but some scholars really believe, and I believe there's textual evidence to support it, that they were divorcing their older wives to go marry younger pagan women. Times haven't changed much, have they? I mean, think about it. The they're divorcing a woman they've married to for a long time. And we'll see that. He says, this is the wife of your youth. Spouse of your youth. Indicating they'd been married to that person for a long time. And they're divorcing the wife of their youth. So that they could go marry a younger model. And so that they could maybe get a wife that's less religious. They'll go marry a pagan woman. She's less religious. He, So men were actually divorcing the wife that they had made a commitment to in the presence of God to go marry a younger pagan woman. Now you also need to know, we need to take a few minutes. My goodness. 
Um, <laughs> we need to take a few minutes to let you know that men loving pagan women was not a new problem in the Jewish nation. That's not a new problem. In fact, Ezra and Nehemiah had to contend with this problem. Let me, let me show you this real quickly. If you go over to the left uh, and find the book, if you go past Psalms, give you a reference point, go past Psalms, and keep going, and you'll come to Ezra, and go to Ezra chapter 9. Ezra chapter 9. Ezra chapter 9, verses 1 through 4. After these things had been done, the leaders came to me and said, The people of Israel, including the priests and the Levites, have not kept themselves. What's that next word? Separate. Key word there. Priests and the Levites have not kept themselves separate from the neighboring peoples with their detestable practices like those of the Canaanites, the Hittites, Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites. They have taken some of their daughters as wives for themselves, and their sons have mingled the holy race. Look at that phrase. They've mingled the holy race with the peoples around them. And the leaders and the officials have led the way in this unfaithfulness. Notice that last phrase. The leaders and the officials have led the way. They've led the way in, in this, that last word, in this unfaithfulness. You know what Ezra was saying? Look up here. Ezra was saying the leaders have led the people to break faith. They're not obeying God. They're marrying pagan women. They're not preserving the Jewish race. Now, that's Ezra. Go over one book to the right and find Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 13. <clears throat> Nehemiah chapter 13, verse 23. And here's what Nehemiah says. Moreover, in those days I saw men of Judah who had married women from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. Half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod or the language of one of the other peoples and watch this, and did not know how to speak the language of Judah. Isn't that interesting? They didn't even know how to speak Hebrew. He says in, in verse 20, 25, I rebuked them and called curses down on them. Watch this. I beat some of the men and pulled out their hair. How'd you like to see that at church? No, thank you. I made them take an oath in God's name and said, You are not to give your daughters in marriage to their sons, nor are you to take their daughters in marriage for your sons or for yourselves. And you say, well, wait a minute. What's the big deal? Why is he so upset? Look at the rest of the verse. Was it not because of marriages like these that Solomon, king of Israel, sinned? Wasn't it foreign women that was the downfall of Solomon? Among the many nations, that uh, there was no king like him. He was loved by his God, and God made him king over all Israel. But, even he was led into sin by foreign women. Must we hear now that you too are doing all this terrible wickedness, and are being, there's that word again, unfaithful to our God? 
by marrying foreign women? Now, you and I look at all that today and we say, what is the big deal? I don't get, why is this a problem? Here, here's why it's a problem. Listen to me. This is so important. The problem of interfaith marriages is that Israel was God's chosen people and they were to guard the privilege of being God's chosen people by not marrying someone of another faith. When you go back to Malachi, go back and find Malachi chapter 2 again. I want you to look what he's, how he describes what the people of, of God have done. Malachi chapter 2. Judah has, verse 11, Judah has broken faith. A detestable thing has been committed. Notice that word. A detestable thing has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. And here's what it is. Judah has desecrated the sanctuary the Lord loves. And here's how. By marrying the daughter of a foreign little g God. That, that phrase, the daughter of a foreign God, is a way of describing they've married a pagan woman. And marriages like this were strictly forbidden in the covenant law because they would lead, they knew that that would lead to apostasy. Now, somebody help me here. What does that word apostasy mean? That marriages like this were forbidden because the fear was it would lead to apostasy. What is apostasy? Exactly. Turning away. It means to turn away. And, and the idea is, if you marry the gods of foreign women, it will turn your heart away from God. And that's exactly what happened to Solomon. And we've already read about that. That's exactly what happened to Solomon. He married and loved many foreign women, and they turned his heart away from God. I, I see we're not going to finish this, but let's just take the time to at least finish this point. Uh, take your Bibles and go to Exodus 34. Exodus 34. In Exodus 34, beginning in verse 15, the Lord is giving Moses some instructions for Moses to give to the people. And he says, verse 15, Be careful not to make a treaty with those who live in the land. Watch this. Don't make a treaty with those who live in the land. The land you're about to go into. The promised land. Uh, they've come out of Egypt. They're going into the promised land. And God says, Be careful not to make a treaty with those who live in the land. That is the promised land. For they prostitute themselves to their little g-gods and sacrifice to them. And they will invite you and you will eat their sacrifices. And when you choose some of their daughters as wives for your sons, and those daughters prostitute themselves to their little g-gods, they will lead your sons to do the same. One more example. Over to the right, go uh, and find the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 7. Now, I'm going somewhere with this. I hope you'll be patient here for just a moment. Deuteronomy chapter 7, <clears throat> verses 3 through 6. And here's the word of the Lord. It says, Do not intermarry with them, that is, with the people of other faiths, 
Do not intermarry with them. Do not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons. And here's why. Watch this. For they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. That's apostasy. And the Lord's anger will burn against you and will quickly destroy you. Now watch this. This is what you are to do to them. Break down their altars, smash their sacred stones, cut down their Asherah poles, and burn their idols in the fire. Have nothing to do with their little g-gods. In fact, destroy all of their little g-gods. Verse 6, here's why. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen, watch this, the Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be His people, His treasured possession. The Lord has chosen you out of all the peoples of the earth to be His people, His treasured possession. So the reason Malachi comes and it says, I'm, I'm so upset, I'm so frustrated because you, you people are, are defiling the covenant God made, our forefathers made with God. And you're marrying pagan women from these countries around us. By the way, we don't have time to look at it, but that same concept is in the New Testament. This concept of incompatibility is also found in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, Do not be unequally yoked together. It's not talking about being, you know, marrying somebody from another nation, but it's talking about that a Christian should not marry someone who's a not Christ, who is not a Christian. Do not be unequally yoked together. Now, now here's why all of this matters. Here's why all of this matters. Look at this, this lesson. Our relationship with God and our relationships with others are intertwined. See, God sees everything that we do and we cannot hide from Him. And when we sin privately, what we think is privately, it causes a breach in our relationship with Him. It also causes problems in our relationships with others. When the people of God married the foreign pagan women... It caused a break in the relationship. Remember what he says, you have broken faith with others. That's what it says in chapter 2, I think it was verse 10. You have broken faith with others. Because when you disobey God, your relationship with God and your relationship with others is intertwined. And a perfect example of this is the first sin recorded in the Bible. That's a powerful example, the first sin recorded in the Bible. After Adam and Eve sinned against God, Of course, their fellowship with Him was broken. But once they sinned against God, what did they turn and do? They turned on one another and blamed one another. You see, this whole idea that our relationships with one another and our relationships with God are intertwined. We are connected. And I'll show you how how powerful this is. Go to the... We're almost done with this first point and we'll stop there. But go with me to... uh, 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 3. Men, you need to hear 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 7 and you can get mad at at me later, okay? 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 7, this is what it says. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life, so that, watch this, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. What? 
You mean the way I treat my wife has something to do with with my prayer life with God? Absolutely. What? There is this interconnectedness in our relationships with God and our relationships with others. And that's why Malachi was so upset. Malachi says, you, you, you are marrying pagan women, but you do not understand the implications of this. It's not just that you got a younger model. And you got this lady who, maybe it's not as religious as, as your old wife was. It's not just that you kind of tried to upgrade, though it wasn't an upgrade. No, that's not the problem, though that is a problem. Malachi said, you, you need to understand, you have broken faith with one another, and then he's going to make the point, we'll get to the next time, Because you've broken faith with one another, you've also broken faith with God. You broke faith with your wife, the wife of your youth. That has direct implications on your relationship with God. In fact, I promise you, (laughs) I promise you we're going to stop. But... If you go to Malachi chapter 2, I've got to read you three, three more verses and then we'll stop. Powerful words in Malachi chapter 2. I want you to see how all of this fits together. Let's just begin in verse 10 and we're going to read our way through verse 13. Have we not all one Father? Did not one God create us? Why do we profane the covenant of our fathers by breaking faith with one another? Again, I'm underlining this idea. You're breaking faith with one another. And it's having an implication on your relationship with God. Judah has broken faith. A detestable thing has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. Judah has desecrated the sanctuary the Lord loves by marrying the daughter of a foreign god or pagan women. And as for the man who does this, whoever he may be, may the Lord cut him off from the tents of Jacob, even though he brings offerings to the Lord Almighty. Then watch what happens in verses 11 through 13. Or, or, I'm sorry, verse 13. Another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because he no longer pays attention to your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. Look at these powerful words. He no longer pays attention. Your relationship with God and your relationship with your spouse are not separate commitments. They are connected. One affects the other. I wish I could scream that from the top of the roof. Your relationship with God and your relationship with your spouse are not separate commitments. They are connected. One affects the other. So he says, here's the powerful words. He, being God, when you pray, when you bring your sacrifices, He, God, no longer pays attention. He no longer pays attention. Here's why. Because you thought you could divorce the wife of your youth and go marry a pagan woman, maybe get a younger model, and you thought it would be okay. And, it's, and this relationship, watch this, this relationship horizontally, it's not, it's not going to affect your relationship vertically. And Malachi says, it doesn't work that way. Our relationships we're, are interconnected. Our relationship with God and our relationship with others, it's all interconnected. Which leads us to the next part of the chapter, 
which we can't get to tonight, but we'll get to, okay? Now, let me, let me just say a word for either somebody here or those watching online. You say, well, Keith, I'm divorced. Does that mean God doesn't love me? I want you to hear me. No, God loves you as much as He loves me or anybody else in this room. Now we are, the next time we look at the text, we are going to read where God says, I hate divorce. But God nowhere says, I hate divorced people. And if you've been in a time where, you know, you were in a relationship that led to divorce, and there's so many layers to that. I understand that. There are so many layers to that. And my purpose tonight is not to point a finger at anybody. My purpose tonight is to say, can we all understand that our relationships with one another do affect our relationship with God? And our relationship with God does affect our relationship with one another. All interconnected. So please don't leave here defeated saying, well, man, uh, I, I'm, I'm on the second team now because I'm divorced. That's not what we're saying. Malachi is making the point. Watch this before we leave. Malachi is making the point. We're all on the same team, right? We're all part of the Jewish race, he said to, to those people. Don't we all have one father? Don't we all have one God? We're all part of the same team. Let's just make sure we're living in a way that we honor Him. That's the whole point. Let's make sure we're living in a way where we're, we are obeying Him. Regardless of what your status in life is now, you can, from this time forward, live in a way that honors God. You can live in a way that, that, that shows your relationship with God. You can live in a way that honors your husband or honors your wife in, in a way perhaps you haven't done in the past, but you can do it now. Because we all have the same Father. We all have the same God. And I, I want you to hear me say this. And I'll, I'll, I'll promise I'm going to quit saying I'm going to shut up. But the ground at the foot of the cross is level. Nobody's better than anybody else. Nobody has an advantage over anybody else. And every one of us Needs God's grace. So let's thank Him for that. Thank You, Lord, that um, You use Your Word to speak to us in ways that really help us deepen our relationship with You. And I hope that comes across tonight. That the whole purpose of, of that study is, the whole purpose of Malachi's prophecy is to deepen our relationship with You. To walk in love and to walk in obedience to You. So help us all to do that. To honor you in the way we live and the things we say. And help us to honor you in the way we treat others. And the way especially that we treat our spouse. And we ask that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much. God bless you.